We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sean Siegel, fresh off of uh, a late night stream last night over on Ship Chasing and Rotoviz uh, Airwaves there, you and Ben drafting in the pros versus Joes, starting to feel battle tested with these stream drafts, right? Probably the most stream drafts you've ever had under your belt by this time of the year ever, right? Uh, it's been great. And we had a blast last night. It does feel like I just finished that up five minutes ago. So uh, this is just sort of an extension. You were mentioning two hours for the 34 rounds. I think our draft last night took the full two hours. And I mean, there might have been a little bit of that that was owed to Ben and I not picking very swiftly. Yeah, uh, if you want to see uh, two guys, you guys thought things get nerve wracking over here with Sean bleeding the clock. Wait till you have a 45 second clock and Ben and Sean being even more indecisive than I'm willing to be. At, at some point, I just step in and say, no, this is who we're doing. Uh, but you guys were volleying back the indecision uh, like an epic tennis match there. I like to, I like to, put it on Ben with about three seconds and see if he'll come through. Cause you can use the whole clock, right? When, when you have these like 20 second clocks that we're working with here, I mean, you've got to be on your toes. You have a full minute and I mean, you can use the full 59. There you go. There you go. So check that out. Uh, I don't think that's going to hit or it'll be on. You guys will have that on the road of his airwaves too. If they want the audio, the video is over on the ship chasing as well. Uh, Sean, I did just jump us into a best ball mania draft and, you know, I've been lamenting, uh, I have been not getting a ton of early slots uh, lately. I've been getting a ton in the back. You and I, though, had some early slots recently, and our good fortune continues. The one three here we do draw, although I believe you and I have ended up with a few Cooper Cup shares. We haven't got a chance to do a ton of Jamar Chase builds, I feel like. Um, does that does that sound about right for you as far as our exposures? I haven't looked specifically at our exposures. It does. We have Jefferson. We have Cup. We have McCaffrey. I don't know that we have Chase. Yeah, no Chase yet. Who knows? Maybe uh, copper prices or um, the um, appropriately or inappropriately named Fiddle My Gooch. Uh, maybe they give us uh, a gift here at three. Otherwise, 
We will figure it out. Looking at this room here, see some friends and family here. John Daigle, of course, from 4 for 4. Shimmy uh, is in here. Biff Tannen, who I recognize. Casey, of course, from the 111 ends up in a lot of our drafts. Um, we are on the clock. No gifts here. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. I know you always have a little galaxy brain in you, but what do you think is the pick uh, for us here today, Sean? Yeah, it depends a little bit on how wide receiver heavy you think it will be. I, I like a lot of McCaffrey here, but I do have a lot of him. There are a lot of things you can do structurally there. I mean, Cup is the easier play in terms of what yeah. it sets us up for. Yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and grab Cup. Give us some more flexibility. I am like, it's so funny. I've been wanting some earlier draft slots, but I've also been intrigued with the idea of getting some later draft slots with you because you've been teasing to me. You teased it last week that you might have had a fun kind of galaxy brain reachy start. Um, does this selection set us up for one of your fun ideas or are we boxed out of it again? Yeah, we really need the 108, 109. And it's kind of funny. Ever since I had decided that I wanted to play some teams that way, I've been more or less exclusively in the top four. So you obviously <laughs> yeah. can't complain about that, but it has made it a little more difficult to execute that particular strategy. Uh, I think I did a bad job hosting the show at the top of the show, specifically for the audio listeners. This is the Best Ball Banana Stand, a weekly show Sean and I are doing where we hop in a Best Ball Mania 4 draft. We stream the draft over on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Peter Overzet, and then this hits the Rotoviz airwaves, including their Best Ball feed. I have the links to those down below. Make sure you guys are subscribed to Rotoviz. All kinds of content coming out on the podcast feed. Um, Curtis and Dave Cabin doing some great shows along with Stealing Bananas that you guys hear us talking about. Rotoviz Overtime, who did a few shows with the regular season champ from last year, King Capital. And then on top of that, uh, all of this written content flying fast and loose. I haven't even gotten a chance to read your Brees Hall article yet, Sean, but you guys have been busy over there at Rotoviz. Well, Pat was saying that he had enjoyed the, the Brees Hall article. I always appreciate that. All of the Brees Hall overdrafters need to stay together on that and hope that he also stays healthy. So we're pretty fired up about that. Pete, you and I have taken him a couple times when it looked like he might not be healthy, when it looked like they might drop another running back in on top of him. I feel like things are starting to clear up from that perspective. Maybe they're a little more concerned about some of our Ramondre Stevenson shares. We've been at this spot in a lot of our drafts, and so Hall and Stevenson, guys, that we have been taking a fair amount at that 2-3 turn. Yeah, yeah, and that it, it does lend itself there. Do you start to think, because I, I know, too, when I draft with you, like you probably have a narrower pool of like what you consider viable selections and maybe most people I draft with because you're very, very intentional with the types of players and the archetypes you're building. And then you compound that idea with when you draft um, relatively close to ADP that you can get funneled to some very specific team starts. I think I had a draft on Monday where it's like, someone was like, I'm pretty sure I saw you do this exact same start through four rounds. And I was like, you might be right. I might've done that. Do you ever worry about building like the same team too many times? Or do you kind of like the idea of like, I'm exposed to this and I'll just mix and match some other pieces with it? I like it. I was kind of joking in the intro to a piece I'm working about, working on about winning the FFPC main event and the fantasy pros version that, I mean, if you can draft the identical team in both formats and it's the best team, then you win both of those million dollars. I, I think that you want to be fairly heavy on your guys and not water down your teams too much with the idea that some of the seasons you're going to just hit in such a way that that works. And 
you're going to have a few seasons where perhaps you're not quite there. We can finish after we go through the turn here. I want to ask you the question after we get done kind of with this pair of picks, because I do think it's really interesting. Yeah, it's really tough. I feel like the pick is either JT or Barkley. Barkley gives you the week 17 correlation. I'm very underweight him, and I don't know if I feel fully comfortable with that. I have a really hard time taking Barkley over JT, though. I lean JT. Give me a one word, JT Barkley here. Let's go Taylor. And I mean, there's always that slight chance that Barkley even comes back around. Yeah, and I, I've i struggled with Barkley. Let's first talk about the JT Cup. Did we get that? Was that our start last time we had Cup? Speaking of repeating starts, were we excited about a JT Cup start? Someone will have to pull this up for me, and I can look it up too. I don't think that we've gotten that. I think we had Taylor get very close a couple of mm-hmm. times. He's someone that when he falls out of that, you know, 205 range. I think you absolutely have to load up. Now, there are some more questions that are being raised even about his health, and that's going to knock him down some. I think you have to take him when he gets knocked down. My understanding of it is that there aren't huge concerns for when we get to the season. I still think he's in the mix to be next year's 101. I think he's that good, and I think that his efficiency possibilities in that offense are just absolutely through the roof. I did just check, Sean, and it was a Cup Ramondre team we had. Ramondre goes here, so we are getting Cup with JT, which is fun. Um, the aforementioned Brees Hall available, a couple of the elite quarterbacks, all the elite quarterbacks, Jacobs, Debo, Keenan. We do have the Rotoviz ranks in here. Who's the pick? I think we got to go back with Brees again. I think he's going to get more expensive. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, Cooper Cup. You mentioned Brees getting more expensive. It seems like concerns are evaporating about the injury. The last lingering concern is could we get a Dalvin Cook shoe to drop? in this backfield, which I do think would make him cheaper. It sounds like you believe that Dalvin Cook is not going to end up in New York based on that comment. Yeah, the the betting markets have moved away from that as the most likely scenario. I think as long as there's a slightly less than one in three chance, and it's probably a little bit less than that, that he ends up there, that I'm going to continue taking him at that spot if he seems to be pretty close to healthy. I mean, I, I argued... In the piece I wrote on him that, and again, I don't think people are unfamiliar with his profile, but once you go through all the different pieces, it really is pretty crazy in terms of just how good he can be. If you took the injury out of it, if you took the Dalvin Cook element out of it, I think that his true value then would be in that Austin Eckler range. And so, I mean, you've got to take him at the 302. I mean, the 303. That isn't to say that, I mean, he is... Austin Eckler's value because those other things still are there. But I mean, I I really like in this season, if you get one of the things that's interesting about the one Oh three and kind of those top four or five picks, even and King cap was saying this on overtime, which I agree with completely, which is that, I mean, there's a pretty strong argument that one Oh nine through one twelve is the best place to pick this season. It's certainly a very fun place Mm -hmm. to pick. And when you get in the avalanche ish drafts, then, and you're not getting Devontae Smith, you're not getting T. Higgins, then, I mean, you have to take a couple of running backs. But when you're taking Jonathan Taylor and Brees Hall in the second and third rounds, that also feels like a gift. So I don't mind that element of it, but I think the 2023, there's so many fun things about drafting this year. One of them is that all the areas of the draft just give you such cool opportunities. Kind of getting back to that question about being concentrated I want to win huge in the seasons where my guys hit. And then if there are some seasons when I miss, I'm looking at the overall 
investment in those seasons being such that it's not going to kill me. So almost thinking about a full season as sort of a one week DFS play, as opposed to playing a lot of things that are weaker. Now, I mean, they're going to be some off years. And one of the worst years I think was in 2014 for me, which was right after the extremely successful 2013 year. And so, I mean, fantasy does have a way of coming back and delivering some humility to you. You have to realize that you are going to be wrong sometimes. And yet, that is still far and away my preferred way to play it. How do you think about that aspect of it? Because I know that you get fairly high on some of your guys as well. Yeah, and I think, again, just by necessity of drafting with a lot of different people who have different preferences, I think about a third of my drafts have been with other people. So my exposures are probably going to be a little lower than they would. Like I'll probably be in like the 20 to 23% on my highest guys where maybe if I was drafting by myself, I could see some of those getting up from like 25 to 30%. So that'll naturally keep me in check more. I do struggle with like, liking to take on different structures, build different types of teams, almost out of like boredom, you know, too, of being like, oh, let's try a hyper fragile build where we start CMC, you know, Pollard and Ramondre on this one and see how that goes. So I find myself liking to experiment in a way where uh, I'm not going all in on, on specific stuff, but I do think it's very viable when you have that kind of conviction on things that might be mispriced. Um, we are on the clock here at 410. JT Brees Hall, Cooper Cup, our team. You see Burrow Fields at quarterback, Kenneth Walker at running back, Godwin Hawkinson, JSN, Ayuk. Uh, what jumps out to you here? Well, Ayuk is somebody I keep moving up, even though I like the other pieces in that passing game as well. I'm trying to get a very good balance between those three players we talk a lot about trying to figure out the savviest way to play passing offenses that are either going to be so explosive that they deliver a lot of production even to the second or third guy or very uncertain offenses where you can manage your risk a little bit by taking the lower priced guy if he is close to is likely to blow up so then if the offense doesn't hit you're still more or less okay if the offense does hit then you dramatically outperform ADP. The 49ers has, have some elements of that, and yet I do like all of the guys. I just I can't get away from Debo Samuel as being one of the best players in the NFL. So if not take him in the first two rounds, you're going to have a pretty good exposure there. I mean, his teammates talk about Ayuk as being completely uncoverable. I mean, he's the supposed you know can't cover him in a phone booth kind of guy. So when you expect that offense to be very efficient, you've got to take some shots there. Yeah, so we do select Brandon Ayuk as our second wide receiver with Cup. We got that double anchor RB out of 2-3 with Jonathan Taylor and Brees Hall about to pick here at 5-3. We see the turn go uh, Hawkinson and then Kirk, Chris Godwin come off the board. Um, got a few seconds here until we are on the clock. Um, we don't have any kind of obvious stacking with some of these elite quarterbacks at the top here. Um, Kenneth Walker, the top available running back and a guy you and I draft a bunch in JSN here. How would you like to take this team? Yeah, we could do fields if you're wanting to get pretty crazy and have three non-wide receivers early. I think if we don't do that, uh, it's been actually a couple of days since I've taken JSN. So, I mean, there's never too early What's to your go preference? out and get him. Because I, I do like getting weird with you. JSN or fields? Let's do fields. All right, let's get weird. Um, I've been taking plenty of... Um, 
JSN and uh, Fields, I believe it just was on the screen here. Three percent. If you guys want to know, I saw someone asking how you get the uh, the exposures. I use the uh, the Draft Caddy, the DraftCaddy.com. It's my co-host on Lulz, uh, Brian Hooper's tool, which is an overlay. It also works on other sites as well. That link is down below if you guys want to get it. Also have my Week 16 and Week 17 matchups here. Um, you know, the Fields pick is fun because I have been wanting to boost up my exposure to like the fields and Lamar Jackson and Herbert tier of like part of being like underweight. Some of those elite quarterbacks, obviously you and I have done a lot of um, punt quarterback builds, which is, I think we both agree is, is viable this year, but talk about kind of the fields pick here with this construction and, and how you're thinking about him as maybe an arbitrage to those, you know, round two, round three QBs. Yeah. The more that I look at it, the harder it is for me to, I mean, I, I love Joe Burrow, and I've always felt like he was actually a little bit undervalued in fantasy. And certainly, if you're thinking that he goes off in certain key moments, I mean, he's one of the more likely QBs to have one of these games where Jamar Chase goes for 200 and T. Higgins goes for 150, and they throw for five or six touchdowns. I mean, it's easy to forget that. I mean, there was a NFL environment at one point where you know Nick Foles had a game with so many touchdowns, it was like a full season for some guys. I mean, you can have those types of games. And Joe Burrow, even though he's not going to bring the rushing element, I think is a guy who can do that. And yet his ADP is very heavily influenced by where Chase and Higgins go. The fact that in a variety of formats, Fields has fallen below him, despite the fact that you have this elite rushing potential. And I think that there are a lot of little breadcrumbs kind of pushing us in the direction of believing that the passing game is going to be more viable. It's also sort of an interesting play because you can play him by himself. I, I still like to throw some teams out there where you have a hybrid QB who doesn't rely on his teammates. And if you have a lot of Justin Fields with Moore or with Claypool or with Komet, what have you, Darnell Mooney, then I mean, if he ends up with one of these situations where he gets through or your other quarterbacks get him through, and then you know maybe he throws a couple of touchdowns but they're split out and he rushes for 150 scores, a couple of rushing touchdowns. I mean, he could be the guy by himself where your other wide receivers are just so good that they beat those other field teams. There are just a lot of ways to play it. I was a little bit concerned originally that his rushing production was very unsustainable, even though he's so good in that area. I've gotten a lot more optimistic about how dynamic this passing offense can be. I don't know that there's actually much difference if any between fields and Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a spicy take. I, I'm definitely into that. It seems like a lot of the Lamar stuff is around the new offensive coordinator. Obviously, they beef up their weaponry uh, with Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham. I get that, but yeah, I, I think Fields is is a fun one. And like you said, because um, you often miss out on DJ Moore with him, or a lot of people are going out of their way to pair him. It it's not expensive either. If you do want to get in those later stacks, all those guys are going in the double digit round. So there's lots of ways to play fields. When you play fields, you find yourself looking at opposition for him, 15, 16, 17 of thinking, what are the game environments that get fields, you know, through the playoff gauntlet? Yeah. I don't love that element of it and mm -hmm. the potential for there to be an extremely low play total in week 17 is also a little bit disconcerting and yet there are ways to play that week 17 game that are a lot of fun now i mean we're not gonna get drake london on it do we where are the tight ends right now pete the tight ends got her waller so we so did we, pits and those guys are gone uh 
Evans, Burks, Pickens, the top here. Swift always around a little bit ahead of ADP. What jumps out? Yeah, we could we could take Evans. We're not going to get too many of these discounts in a fairly receiver-heavy draft. That was one of the things with JSN. I just have so much of him that also taking him well above ADP, even if it's in an avalanche draft. I've been trying to stay away from that a little bit just to, you know, you have to know what, I don't want to say even weaknesses, but what your personality is and where, where you get <laughs> kind of crazy on a player if you don't maintain some awareness there. So to get Evans at a good price here, as opposed to the reach that we did with, or could have done with JSN, I like that right. part of it. Um, I mean, Kyle Pitts goes all over the place. If he had come back to give us the other side of that Atlanta game, that would have been a lot of fun. He goes at the 603, so doesn't make it back through to us here. How are you feeling with our wide receivers and what we need to do to kind of make this work now that we're six rounds through? Yeah, I, I'm feeling good about it. I think it's a little easier to do the extra detours from this side of the board, whereas sometimes you can be really sweating uh, from the back end of what comes back to you at the 7-8 turn here. We see uh, three uh, non-wide receiver picks come off the board here. So I feel good about uh, like a Burks or Pickens selection here. I've, I've also been talking about how it is hard to get some of your DeAndre Swift exposure up. That would give us a really kind of unique hyper fragile angle. If we really wanted to get dangerous and push it at wide receiver, I think reflexively, I'm normally taking one of these two wide receivers here. And I know we like both like Pickens at a, at ADP, but I'm, I'm open to uh to fun builds here. What do you think? Man, it's so tempting to take Swift anytime that he's kind of <laughs> in that range. I, I do still think he's the most undervalued player in fantasy. I mean, Pickens opens up some things we can do at, at QB Let's go Pickens to make sure we get the the receivers. Wow. You you surprised me because at first I thought you were going to say, like my thought was a lot of times we are building out punt QB builds where like having the Kenny Pickett out with Pickens, it definitely helped. But then I was like, wait, well, we took fields here. Do we do we want to use this as our turn to know maybe we could get away with a two QB build or whatever? Um, it's, uh, I, I, I like Pickens there. It feels comfier. I was ready for you though, to push me out of my comfort zone with Swift. And one thing I was saying to Pat was like, I like both Swift and Penny. And I just have so much more Penny because of the structural opportunity cost that Swift often presents in these rooms. But like I was saying, if I could just write my exposure down on a piece of paper, I'd like those to be much closer together. But in practice, that's sometimes really hard to do when you're like, it's Pickens and who's coming back to us at 94. We're probably not going to like it. That was one of the things they justifiably gave me a fun and good hard time about last night where uh, I think it was the 9-10. We needed a running back. Uh, we needed a running back and we needed a wide receiver. We needed plenty of positions, obviously. Uh, yeah. And we were looking at, or I was making the case that Sky Moore, Romeo Dobbs were the last of the legitimate wide receivers. You get that last receiver there and then you have so much flexibility in terms of what you do going forward but i i just made the simple statement that rashad penny is the best running back in the nfl and then pick sky Moore, who we've been discussing as the worst pick in all of 2022 and so <laughs> they were sad we didn't have rashad penny on that team yeah i did want to pull up this question from tyler because i think it's a fun one because you do often take such big stances on on guys tyler says what's the one player sean is fading or very underweight on but you're terrified of being wrong about the player that pops to mind the most 
is Anthony Richardson. And it's not even so much the best ball element, although if he absolutely went off, it would hurt you a little bit there. I I feel very strongly that Jameer Gibbs and Jackson Smith and Jigba are not just like good selections early in Superflex Dynasty, but I think because Bijan is there at the 101, it's easy to lose track of the fact that both of those guys have a real thesis for being better than him, especially from a fantasy perspective and perhaps even generational prospects in their own right. And so it doesn't feel right for me, even in a format that does obviously create some value for the quarterback to take a player who was not a good college player ahead of guys who were that good. And I think, you know, especially when you look at JSN is going to play for a long time. So I have a decent amount of those guys at two and three. We've ranked them at two and three in Superflex. I have taken Richardson a few times in best ball when he falls around and a half below ADP. One of the things I've just been really focusing so heavily on and hammering. And one of the reasons why I don't have a ton of elite QB other than when things are maybe a little bit flat. I mean, I felt like today was a little bit flat and you get what is a great price on Justin Fields. But not only do I like the late QBs, but the window QBs, I have a ton of shares for a variety of guys, a full round and a half below ADP. Mm -hmm. And so if you set your teams up to take advantage of that, you can get crazy QB prices. He is somebody I will take in that situation. Yeah. Um, we're about to pick at the 810, our team here through uh, seven. We got Justin Fields at quarterback, that double anchor still, Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, and our four wide receivers, Cooper Cup, Brandon Ayuk, Mike Evans, George Pickens. Don't really see anything we'd be doing here in the quarterback range. Um, some tight end options with Evan Ingram and Pat Fryermuth. Um, you also have P. Ryan. AJ Dillon at wide receiver. It's Romeo Dobbs and Jamison Williams. So definitely some fun options here. What do you think? Yeah. Do you have a, like a couple preferences? I mean, Evan Ingram as a one-off kind of play, I think is interesting. I don't have a ton of him, but I could see him being a tournament winner. I don't know that the other guys are great picks at this price. Yeah, let's do let's do Evan Ingram kind of almost like the Fields pick, right? Where it felt pretty flat. We've obviously built out a ton of different teams with with Fryermuth there. We could have set ourselves up for that Pickens um Fryermuth double stack there, but then maybe it gets a little trickier with if we get boxed out on a Seattle thing and then you wonder do we have a way to actually play that game um in a way that we like. So, definitely don't mind uh Evan Ingram there and there's there's ways to play Evan Ingram through some Carolina pieces and build out some other fun stuff there in week 17. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll pick here at nine, three. We now have a one, two, four, one build. Um, we see Kadarius Tony come off the board. He's obviously sliding uh, after surgery here down to pick 95 Antonio Gibson, still uh, a top 100 pick in a lot of these drafts. And then Sky Moore, who of course is moving in the opposite direction is Kadarius Tony. I imagine, um, already seeing Sky Moore go ahead of Tony in a lot of drafts. And if not, uh, I assume that'll get solidified here in the next day or two. Uh, Fiddle here takes times out and takes Zach Charbonnet. Which way would you like to play it here? Dobbs and Jamison Williams on the board. You could mess around with the Fryermuth, the double tight end. What do you think? Yeah, that Fryermuth is pretty tempting. And we get a couple of those tight ends. It, there are so many great tight ends late. You can play the three tight end. I, mean, I don't mind the the big reach for Dobbs. I don't mind playing Rashad Penny here. That would give us the other side of that. I mean, Penny might be my lean since we didn't take the DeAndre Swift 
let's uh i'm i'm always going to uh try to get the lean in there at the last minute um yeah let's let's do that it, it, it's fun to get off because i do feel like because we have so much jsn uh so many friar teams like i feel like you and i build that game stack a lot so again <laughs> not saying i get bored with it uh but it is fun to try out new things here so we add rashad penny who i do always love um getting up there on my penny exposure just drafted him with pat um i think this will push me over 20 percent once i update this but the team through nine rounds fields jonathan taylor Brees hall rashad penny cooper cup Ayuk, mike evans pickens evan ingram Sean, I do have a video coming out later this week that's being edited about how to combat the wide receiver avalanche, looking at some of the tactics here. Um, normally, we're trying to get to five wide receivers through seven rounds, ideally five wide receivers through 10 rounds. At the latest, we only have four round uh, wide receivers here through nine. Um, how are you feeling about this wide receiver room? Do you have a parachute for us as we enter uncharted territory? It'll be interesting to see which players kind of come together and make for some interesting fits late. And if we don't have the week 17 game stacks set, then I mean, I think occasionally that is okay. You're going to have obviously a lot of very competent managers who have teams in there who have that. You get a little bit of leverage coming off of it. If you have the week 16 element, then that can be a fun way to play it if that is a little bit underutilized. Just thinking through some of the plays that we have in there that you know, might do like tiny little fun things. We have Jacksonville versus Tampa Bay in week 16. Are there guys, as you're looking at the team that we have set up with not as many wide receivers and some maybe, I don't say weirder receivers, but when you look at a team where we have a Matthew Stafford, we have a Baker Mayfield as the quarterbacks who go with them, quarterbacks I'm not really targeting. And even, you know, when you try and start to think of, you know, what are less likely scenarios that we could you know, hope for or kind of build the team around. I still don't get that fired up about those QBs to where more of an uncorrelated kind of build that had some uniqueness that maybe had some ADP value or at least ADP value within the context of this type of draft. That might be the kind of thing that we're moving into. How are you feeling that element of it, both for this draft and kind of what you'd like to do? Yeah, I think it's, it's tough because I have like no concerns about our quarterback because we do have some options for stacks later. We already have fields there. So I'm not worried there at all. I think it does get hard to start to think about the wide receiver plan, um, especially as some of these targets who maybe in, in normal draft rooms, Dobbs would slide to 118. Obviously not going to happen here. Um, one nice thing about fields is we do still have a couple cheap pass catchers with him that allow us to build out uh, a position of need at wide receiver and in a correlated fashion. So that I think is a feather in our cap. We grab Evan Ingram. So if we're trying to play some of these Carolina guys, I know you're not super high on that offense, but there are options at wide receiver there that'll kick around in basically um, most of the, the following rounds here. So I think we have some ways we can get creative with it but it is uh we backed ourselves into a corner here and it is always kind of that game of do you blink do you structurally you know panic and then reach for a guy because you're like shit we need wide receivers or can you reverse engineer your draft enough to know we're okay we got these guys throughout the draft that uh that we can select we are on the clock here um Jacoby Myers, a guy that we had selected in another draft, he definitely fits on teams like this where you're behind at wide receiver, but does anything else jump out to you? I wouldn't mind going ahead and, well, I was going to say Dulcich. I don't like to put the two week nine guys together there. 
Uh, let's do Myers. We've taken him quite a bit, but I completely agree that he is the perfect fit when you're trying to bridge that gap between the guys you're really confident in and the guys that you're going to take, you know, more those hail Mary kind of swings on. Yeah. And one other kind of fun element to that, we do have Jonathan Taylor. So you get the, uh, the week 17, uh, mini matchup there between the Raiders and Colts in a dome, which is nice. Um, one other thing we could consider, and I, I noticed you haven't buried in your ranks relative to other wide receivers, but I, I do think this is always a fun conversation when you're weighing the pros and cons of correlation. You know, Darnell Mooney will fall here in a range where it'd be about five picks ahead of ADP. Um, we need a wide receiver and we have Justin Fields, but by your ranks, he's buried. So do you consider him in this spot or is he just off the board even despite those other factors no he would be a he would be a strong consideration here he's buried in part because this would really be the only situation where i would ever take him and so i mean you're moving him down in relation to some of those other guys who are more flexible in terms of the environments where you will pull the trigger it's also a situation where i think you can play claypool in the final round and maybe the difference isn't that great. He, he does go right there one spot ahead yeah. of it. So I have to move back off of that. I mean, we had mentioned Anthony Richardson. It would be somewhat humorous and fun to take him. He is, like we mentioned, well below his price. Yeah. Um, you know, I and I want to talk this through with you. And we were talking about Richardson a little bit before. I really like the Richardson and Jonathan Taylor pairing together i do think despite you know how some people maybe think about like the correlations there of where sure maybe they're inversely correlated in a single game standpoint if richardson rushes into or jonathan taylor the other might have a muted game but as we saw last year with like the hertz miles sanders dynamic as we're kind of hoping for with a lamar jackson and jk dobbins dynamic i do really think if richardson's good if this offense is good these guys are going to just ping pong massive weeks throughout the season so uh we get a guy we don't take a lot well after ADP that still kind of lines up uh, correlation wise with some stuff we're trying to do. Yeah, it really is the perfect way to play it. It would be probably the only, and you mentioned there are a few other situations that are vaguely similar, but maybe the only QB running back combination that you're really targeting together. And even in a week 17 environment, I mean, if you were to tell us that Richardson scored two rushing touchdowns, that Taylor scored two rushing touchdowns, I, that wouldn't be surprising at all. I mean, if both of those guys, you know, Taylor goes for 200, Richardson goes for 150, then pass the ball seven times, that's probably pretty much what the Colts want to do. And so I do think those guys are fun to play together, especially if you get both of them at a discount. And maybe that won't turn out to be a discount for Taylor. Maybe his price settles in there. I see Richardson fall to this area of drafts, which is one of the reasons why I've taken him a few times recently. Maybe this is where he actually ends up being the price so maybe these aren't actually great closing line value types of situations but i do like them for this particular team i think when you do the elite qb and you're setting on the two qb that's probably not really the way to think about it but i i do almost like to get crazier with that second quarterback in some of those situations too you add a second second hybrid guy on there it builds a weird fun team with so much single week upside I mean, if we can get the right kind of balance between Fields games and Richardson games, you're talking about just crushing the league at the QB position. 
One thing I wanted, like even separating um, kind of the individual player takes about Anthony Richardson, how do you envision the market is going to handle Anthony Richardson over this training camp and preseason period? Because he's been a really interesting one, obviously uh, after the combine greatest athlete we've ever seen at the quarterback position skies up, you know, he was going even in the sixth and seventh round for a little bit. Then we see this massive pullback. He settles in around pick 100 and now you're seeing him routinely drop here. The shares I've gotten have been around this price. And where do you think this goes just price wise? Because that will go a long way in thinking how I kind of approach this from a portfolio standpoint. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, there's a very real scenario where he goes out there in some of these preseason games and is missing guys by yards and doesn't appear to read even the vanilla preseason defenses and doesn't pull the ball down and run. Instead, he throws the ball away, which is, I mean, again, these are some of the things I've heard from our college football analysts who are scared. And so kind of passing some of those things along if that happens to where maybe you're not seeing quite the rushing element and you can see a preseason situation where they don't actually lean into that they don't want to give him extra hits so you're not necessarily getting information but if you have that and then it starts to look like he won't play for the first month then i mean i think drafters would have to pass them behind guys like jerry goff like Kirk cousins where you're going to get good seasons from those guys is it worth the risk <laughs> ahead of pass oriented qbs but pass oriented qbs who are going to have a lot of volume have the receivers to be efficient have the receivers to put together these really cool game stacks now in our situation I mean, those quarterbacks are not really relevant because we didn't set the team up that way and so you're always going to have tactical decisions in your own draft that maybe keep richardson alive but i could see a further slide he could also go out there and light it up and then you're going to see him in round seven yeah, so we are about to be on the clock here at 142. Um, looking at some options here. Um, I mean, Cole Komet stacked up here with Fields is definitely attractive to me. Um, 
anything else jumping out to you here? Uh, Rashi Rice around ADP would be the only other thing. We got our guy Mims. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Rice is is maybe the way I would go with it and see if Komet comes back through. Mm-hmm. You and I have a lot of exposure to, to Komet on our early drafts because we were consistently getting him way below ADP. And then, I mean, if I'm thinking about it correctly, he has slid some. And so I, I guess I would be surprised if he's grabbed here and and doesn't get back to us. Yeah. Um, let's see here. So we do go there. One other guy I wanted to ask you about who appears totally buried in the ranks was Alec Pierce for you. I couldn't even find him. Uh, in here, does he have any more interest to you in wide receiver needy builds where you also have Anthony Richardson, or is he another guy where he's just not the type of player you're looking to select this year? He's not the type of player I'm looking to select. Again, it's not impossible that that would work out if Anthony Richardson's deep ball ability ends up being just a fantastically better fit with Richardson than the other guys. But I do think there's still a pretty big sort of talent slash skill gap between Pittman and Pierce, and then you have a rookie receiver getting in there who probably also maybe moves up to either the second slot or has a role that is more viable. I, I, I kind of prefer to play Richardson without his receivers, even though there's a week 17 possibility. I, I just want more overall value, at least as the, in terms of the way that I'm seeing the players on the teams, as opposed to kind of build that correlation play in. Cole Komet does come back. Uh, you do have Laporta ahead of him in rankings. I assume kind of the ADP and correlation pushes you to Komet, or or do you see something different? It does. And, I mean, it's not a huge issue because we're probably going to take a third tight end. But I'd like to be in a situation where we could just take two and Laporta would give us two with the same buy, so that removes your flexibility to an extent. So we do add Cole Komet there, a guy that we took unstacked, uh, I believe in a show last week or a couple weeks ago, you had mentioned, you know, some work that Blair did getting you higher on him. Um, You know, I don't select a lot of Cole Komet without Justin Fields, what we do here, but it sounds like you're coming around in general on Cole Komet just being a good pick in a vacuum, even without Fields. Yeah, his FPOE numbers, his fantasy points over expectation are actually really good. When you look at guys who could fall into some more volume as a result of that, it makes sense for teams to take their really efficient players and to increase the usage to the point where that efficiency gap over other guys closes down something. You want to balance that out. The guys who are less efficient, you want to take a little bit more off of their plate and vice versa. Blair also just put out a fantastic piece. And this was looking at wide receivers, but the ability of individual receiving metrics to predict themselves and to predict fantasy points obviously uh, listeners to to your channel are going to have a very good understanding of the way that that works and yet it's always great to get that refresher to look through it to think through it blair thinks through it in that article in a way that i think is very valuable he's going to have some follow-up pieces one of the things that's interesting about this fantasy points over expectation metric is that it includes elements like, and when you think about metrics too, it's important to understand like what other metrics they're kind of a combination of. So when you're looking at fantasy points over expectation, you're pulling in some air yards volume, you're pulling in some yardage efficiency in terms of what a player does after the catch, you're pulling in some touchdown upside or rate, what have you. And all of those things, even though they may be, only marginally marginally valuable 
in and of themselves, you start to put them together and you're adding up some efficiency elements. And especially if you're looking at sort of the combined efficiency and volume, where you're looking at on a per game basis or a per season basis, that starts to be actually very valuable information as we look to the future. So that element of it with commit, I like, especially if we're arguing that the team is going to take a step forward, especially if we're thinking, okay, well, how do we play off of these fields, DJ Moore teams? And if DJ Moore is the guy, but he's also getting a ton of defensive attention, which was certainly the case at times with the Panthers, Cole Komet could be the huge beneficiary of a step forward in this offense. Um, we are about to pick in the 14th round. If you want to see the power of uh, Sean Siegel uh, burying a guy like Alec Pierce, you do not see Tyquan Thornton and uh, KJ Osborne and DPJ go ahead of Alec Pierce in a lot of drafts here. We do see Alec Pierce finally come off the board at 153. Our team here through 13 rounds, a 2-3-6-2 build. Um, Justin Fields, Anthony Richardson at quarterback, a JT Brees Hall, Rashad Penny running back room. We have caught up a little bit at wide receiver. Cooper Cup, Brandon Ayuk, Mike Evans, George Pickens, Jacoby Myers, Rashi Rice, and our two tight ends here. Pretty rare that Sean and I have um, four from the onesie position through 13 rounds. So fun to be funneled to a bit of a different build here um, about to pick at 1410. Looking at your ranks right now, Raheem Mostert, Kenny Pickett, Chuba, Tajay Spears. Um, if I look to wide receivers, you're in the Hodgins, Shakir, Wandale uh, range. What do you think? I think my pick would be Spears. I do think I in a, individually have him a little higher. Uh, we have Michael Doomer's blended rankings in here, and obviously he's looking at some projections from uh, the best guys in the industry. Michael's rankings awesome. His tool awesome. His analysis awesome. And so I love to see those blended ranks. Spears is a guy I'm. I'm just drafting a lot. I think the upside with him is extraordinary. And especially you can take a little bit of that risk when you have the three guys that we've started with. One of the things too, uh, just uh, kind of a a note about the way that I like to play it, whether or not it's actually the best way. When I get caught in some of these situations where I think that there's not going to be as dense a correlation at the receivers. That's also a situation where I like the multiple hybrid QBs, where I think that that frees you up to do some things and to have some paths that maybe some of the really high value, highly correlated teams are not going to have. A, a little bit of a note again about if you can't get some of the week 17 stuff, what's cool in week 16. One of the reasons for Rice is that he plays – Jacoby Myers in week 16. Mm. So we have some games that could go off opposite each other. All right. We're on the clock in the early 15th round. Uh, Mostert Chuba at running back Stafford uh, there at quarterback wide receiver Hodgins, Shakir, uh, the Giants guys, Mechie, Renfro, tight ends, Gesicki, Mayer. What do you think? I, Hubbard is a guy I'm trying not to take way above ADP, but I think he's the perfect pick in this draft. I do too. I think with this room getting to a fifth running back, we also get a little correlation there with the Evan Ingram pick that we made as far as playing that week 17 game and gets us to five running backs here. So we'll have three more uh, picks to land the plane. I think definitely with this structure, we're firmly in kind of best player available range as far as how we go about doing this. There's really, you know, other than I do think we'll for sure add uh, at least one more wide receiver. I think otherwise uh, we can go in a bunch of different directions. So to get Rice in there, he'll be interesting because obviously the name that people have been talking about, at least <laughs> the way that I have been processing some of the news is that that Justin Ross play that I mentioned in my five end of the draft receivers, I mean, if he gets 
any run in practice does anything, people are going to be excited. And so there's some possibility there. But I've been a little bit surprised. Ben and I were chatting about, we talked a little bit about it with Pat last night because I think that he was saying that right before um, Tony got injured, he had selected him in a Mastiff. We had both selected him a couple of times yeah. as a correlation play a little bit below ADP, I think right as it happened, or maybe even a little bit after, you know, as you're drafting and trying to catch up on the news for me, Tony being hurt. And it sounded like had a cleanup surgery, which some of those can be very minimal, but I mean, I think it takes him out of the top 120, 130 picks and makes players like sky Moore and Rasheed rice. I mean, those are guys I would draft. I mean, even rice is someone I would draft ahead of him at this point. I mean, he's just demonstrated in an overwhelming fashion at this point that you can't stay healthy. I mean, the giants are looking at the trade they made and be like, yeah, we gave up a talented player, but I mean, he doesn't actually have any NFL value. I, I like rice in there, giving us a little more flexibility to, you know, not feel like we have to take multiple late round wide receivers where maybe we're a little bit uncertain. It does. You know, obviously Tony, uh, the team saying he's going to be back week one I, I think there's lots of hurdles for him to get there just historically how slow we've seen him to recover to get reacclimated you know even when they traded for him last year and he was relatively healthy they were very slow bringing him along not a ton of routes so I think it brings into question a lot of his overall just value on the season which then I was thinking of a thought exercise of what if you just removed Kadarius Tony entirely and you opened up the ADP draft board at the start of drafting season and you said where do you slot these other Chiefs there's no Kadarius Tony on the team I mean you're probably pushing Sky Moore up into the sixth seventh round you probably have Rashi Rice going even like ahead of like where Jamison Williams going like in in that range you're pushing up these other fringe guys as we see Richie James come off the board at 187 so it is interesting like you can't remove Tony from the picture altogether, but if you did as a thought exercise, you see how much these other guys should shift up. Yeah. It moves them a ton. And rice had some very meaningful red flags in his prospect profile. And yet he was somebody I was loading up on in kind of middle of round two of dynasty drafts because that upside is just so extreme. So looking at the board, um, we do have a couple uh, lower uh, correlation pieces with Richardson and uh, Fields. We do have a bunch of quarterbacks, tight ends at the board, Chase Brown, Pierre Strong. Who do you think is our play here? Do you want to take that third tight end in Gasicki, even though we don't need to? I that was uh I hadn't talked to me about Gesicki. I know you like him. I, I'm trying to think like our team building angle. We don't have anything with Buffalo or New England and stuff. It, it seems like you're just very high on on Gesicki. Actually, let's make this pick first, and then we can circle back to the Gesicki who I did add as our third tight end here. Um, talk through what you'd like to do with this 17th pick. Yeah, so let's look at the receivers exclusively, and if we're going to be able to make a selection of one of the correlated guys with the final pick, which there's no guarantee, but it's right. There's a decent chance of that. What play do you prefer then both structurally? And I mean, we mentioned we can do best player available. Is there a best player available for you? That was kind of the pick that I made there with Kasiki as we're looking at the situation at other positions. Yeah, I would say to me, uh, it would be one of these Giants wide receivers to play off of Cooper Cup in that final game. I know we both like uh, Wandell Robinson a lot. I've also been open to Hyatt at these cheap prices. I think Wandell Robinson would be my pick just structurally. Yes, and 
Is that your guy too yep. here? Yep. Um, I think you were probably politely being like, let me try to not make Pete take Wandell Robinson for the 19th time together. Uh, very different price though from where some other times we've taken it. But I do think he makes sense here structurally. And I, I'm not wavering on the Robinson thesis. And I think structurally, I feel good about this running back room. Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, Rashad Penny, Tajay Spears, Chuba. I know you are comfortable getting to six, even seven wide receiver or running backs, even with some elite running backs there. But just um, this room, when I look at it, I, I'm very comfortable with it. Yeah, it just it gives us a lot of flexibility to play that. Again, talking about some of these guys who make some of the early potential rounds work. I mean, it just you want to get some of these teams into the semis. And so the fact that you have Gasicki and Rice playing off of each other in week 15, you can even look to some of the minor little things like that. And then Gasicki's weekly upside, partly it's it's been a while since I've taken him. So my exposure levels are starting to fall a little bit there. But I think the thesis remains very strong. So when we get into one of these drafts where we're kind of looking at round 17 and round 18 as being somewhat easy wide receiver picks. I mean, there you can argue that they're a little bit more in that throwaway direction that I talked about. And yet you're likely to get your guys or have some mix of guys that you do like. So you don't feel the pressure there. You can take the best player available in 16. It was, it was fun talking to King cap on road of his overtime. Everybody make sure you check that out. He was absolutely fantastic. He's big on Jalen Hyatt. Hyatt was one of the guys we were way above consensus on during prospect season. And certainly if Robinson has some struggles, then I think that really opens the door, even though they're probably not going to play similar roles in an actual NFL offense. But you think about getting out there on the field, think about how the team can game plan. Because even if the guys don't do similar things, a team's game plan can be different depending on who they have available to them. Hyatt was taken four picks ahead of us in round 16. If he had gotten to that spot, I think that would have been an interesting pick to kind of shake up what we're doing with the giants. That's what I've been trying to do a little bit now that both these guys are free um, at the end of drafts. And I do think it just with how the market uh, seems to have no interest in, in Robinson, b- besides our uh, little corner of the internet, it does seem like Jalen Hyatt is the guy who could rise a lot more just based on on training camp stuff just in general the market's love of these rookie wide receivers but because they've both been free i've been taking stabs on hyatt to try to balance it out and then on my pros versus joe's draft on monday i took both of those guys as my last two picks you know i had done six early wide receivers in the mid rounds there and then didn't select any wide receivers until the end and then just double tap hyatt and wandell robinson to close it out i mean if i can hit you know, take two really cheap stabs and get one, you know, league winner there. I'm, I'm very happy with that trade-off. Yeah, it, I, both of those guys, I think, are far, far better than what the fantasy community is currently giving them credit for. So I love that play. So we do lose out on Chase Claypool, but Josh Downs does fall. He's he's in the mix here at your at the top of your ranks. You could also play the Justin Ross and build out a chief stack without Mahomes. But what do you think here? I mean... In a vacuum, I, I do prefer Ross. I even think that Tutu is kind of interesting as you sort of maybe load up on the Rams element of that that we're already kind of in for. But with a team that isn't super... So John, we got, we got, quick enough. 
Well, you oh, were we got two, two in there. There we go. There this we go. Is, I love this it. This is I how this it. works. It's the last words that come out of your mouth before the clock expires is who we get. So it was like at the last second, two, two made a push. It's like, uh, you know, when you go to like a baseball game and they have like one of those automated things and they're doing a race and you're trying to guess which one's going to finish first. That's how I am with those selections. They're kind of ebbing. We're and supposed to pick the one that, that falls down, the, the one that yeah. trips and then you have shoes <laughs> flying, you have the costume come off. I think it does speak though to and and Tutu and Justin Ross, two of those guys that you wrote up as those deep um viable sleepers. I do think you can make cases for all of them. And I, I do think it's kind of fun how we decided to play these quarterbacks um from an angle of uniqueness, I guess, too, of like a lot of people are, you know, double, triple stacking, even these mobile QBs, which we know even from a DFS standpoint is not necessary. Um, I still like the correlations as far as what it represents over a season long standpoint of like, if these quarterbacks are good, their offenses are going to be good. These other pieces are necessarily going to have big games, but from like a single week upside standpoint, I do love kind of our, our tightly concentrated bets fields to, um, uh, commit and Anthony Richardson with Jonathan Taylor. So we do take two, two there that gives us two Rams wide receivers and the Wandell Robinson. So building out a little game stack there. Let me recap this full team, Sean, and then you can give me your thoughts on how this one worked out. I would say for, you know, kind of making more detours than we normally do, this one came out pretty nice. Justin Fields and Anthony Richardson at quarterback. Running back, Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, Rashad Penny, Tajay Spears, Chuba Hubbard. Wide receiver, Cooper Cup, Brandon Ayuk, Mike Evans, George Pickens, Jacoby Myers, Rashi Rice, Wandale Robinson, Tutu Atwell, and three tight ends, Evan Ingram, Cole Komet, Mike Gesicki also wanted to specifically get your thoughts about the Gesicki selection there, because we could have made an argument to maybe get to nine wide receivers in this build, but how do you feel about how we landed the plane here? I, I like this mix a little better than going to the nine wide receivers. I do think the guys we got early are going to score. I do want to bet on Evans and Pickens as being real difference makers after we've selected them. I do mm -hmm. want to bet on Jacoby Myers as being somebody who is undervalued by, you know, a round or two. And then I, I didn't necessarily want to push us off of it. Obviously, we ran out of time there. I didn't necessarily want to push us off of Josh Downs because there is a potential for him to be good. But and you look at his prospect profile, there are some very high highs. There are some meaningful concerns. I don't think that he's a great fit for what Anthony Richardson does well. And yet the flip side of that would be if he is good enough and he shores up some of the issues that Anthony Richardson does have, then suddenly the whole thesis is unlocked. And so if people who want to put Richardson with downs at those prices, that I think that makes perfect sense. I do kind of prefer Atwell or Ross because when I have the mobile QBs, I actually like to stay with only one guy with them and make sure that the exposure to the rest of sort of the NFL landscape stays higher. We're still only working with the 18 picks. We know that there are going to be some injuries and then your team looks thinner. Now, if you're going to win the whole thing, you probably have to stay healthy. And so maybe you're looking at it more from if everything works, what do we need? That kind of perspective. But I mean, I, I want this team to get through in the first place, if you can get this team through, which I think is set up very nicely as both a high floor and a high ceiling type of team, even though it's not the normal team that I draft. But when you think about having an, an elite QB, having two elite running backs, having Cooper Cup, who could easily be the fantasy MVP, and then two 
upside tight ends with a third very interesting tight end that positional balance and the upside of the top guys at each position so high it it is a great exercise too in terms of when you're given a little bit of either a different environment or just some specific different options when you're on the clock that instead of forcing the reaches to your favorite guys that is the time where you want to build a little bit of a different team yeah, I think this one, uh, you know, I was just checking like a quick scan of kind of like our ADP values. And sometimes what happens in our avalanche rooms, right, is like we are having to reach big time on wide receivers to catch up while kind of scooping up some pretty big running back fallers. When you look at our ADPs, we kind of decided to play the flat ranges of the board more in line with how the market was and getting to fields, getting to Ingram where we normally don't. And then you look through our whole overall thing and it's like, we didn't really get any big discounts anywhere. I think you could maybe argue Evans and Pickens at ADP represents some kind of discount in these rooms. But it is interesting to me that instead of like offsetting big ADP reaches with ADP values, we were pretty in line with kind of ADP on this specific draft. And kind of going back even to the very first decision with Christian McCaffrey, I think that he is more fun to select in rooms where it's going to be easier to get Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson off of him than it would be in this. And so if we had taken McCaffrey at the 103, which I mean, I more or less have McCaffrey and Cup identical in my ranks. Then you're still looking at Jonathan Taylor and Brees Hall. Now, if we had done like a pure, true, hyper-fragile team, that would have also been very fun. There are ways that we can do that. And you could easily see scenarios in which that wins the whole thing. I continue to write about the fact that 2023 is going to be different than 2022 and 2021. And so we want to take all of the information that we have. You want to check out the Roster Construction Explorer, the Advanced Rate Explorer, understand the history understand what has worked but also know that you can make some fun tactical decisions that are specifically targeted to the current adp environment to what you think sets up with your specific player targets make sure you're playing through those things as well hyperfragile could definitely be the way that wins it at the same time just having those two guys there with cooper cup does give you so much more flexibility as you go forward Yeah, I was thinking about it through a very kind of like macro strategy lens recently about the trends this year and kind of like the zigging and the zagging. And obviously we see a a wide receiver heavy landscape, but the kind of very purposeful zags you're doing off of all of these things where it's like, okay, the wide receivers are pushed up. So you're scooping up the you know, J- Jonathan Taylor's and Brees Hall's when they're there because they normally wouldn't be there. And then on top of it, you have these elite quarterbacks priced up. So how are you playing that? Well, either through the arbitrage versions, you know, the Lamars, the fields or the punt QB builds. The one constant is like the wide receivers, you know, who you still need to have that firepower. So you're still maintaining that. And then the tight end element. I think what's interesting about that is the late tight ends are so viable. It makes so much sense to me. But if I'm just looking at all the teams I see and the trends and stuff, it is making me want to swing a little bit back more towards some of these elite tight ends. Just knowing how many late uh, three and late tight ends there are out there in builds and even people pushing for tight end builds. So that was my only thing is I think about the puzzle pieces of the meta, the trends of like, how are the ways to combat these or ways the field might be undervaluing an element. And I've started to think, man, I, I want to get more of these elite tight ends because it is really tough to pull it off when you know what's waiting for you at the end of the draft. 
When you're looking at the elite tight end, and I, I completely agree with that because I think the elite tight ends are actually going to struggle some in playoff advance rate. Now, struggle only from the perspective of being slightly under, not significantly under. But then you look at the teams that are going to advance to the finals and score really well in the finals. You wouldn't be surprised if those advance rates just skyrocket and you're still kind of hammering the field in terms of getting to the rounds you most want to get to with those guys. For me, the the latent three or even kind of the mixed three that we did today is heavily predicated on the idea that you are taking some guys that you think have massive single week upside. And certainly an Evan Ingram would fit into that, you know, whether or not commit and Gasicki fit is a little bit more of an open question, but I'm very high on the tight ends that I'm taking late. I'm not simply trying to do a volume move where I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to get lucky and cover this with, some shot weeks. I'm looking at it from a full season perspective and thinking, I mean, these guys could actually score very well. Now does very well again, get you into the finals. That's where it pushes you back. So the question that I had before I went off talking about those tight ends was when you're making that selection, do you like to do it on teams that also have a running back detour and I mean, even, and even the two where I mean, you're going to get two anchor guys, not necessarily at the two, three, but in those first five rounds somewhere, you're going to potentially have that elite QB. Are you comfortable with all three of those things? And then being enough weaker at wide receiver that you are having to, you know, go through and select guys like a Rasheed Rice where, I mean, we got him at ADP today, which I think is actually going to be a huge ADP win. And so yes. he would be somebody that I think is, is a win there. But when you're taking Rasheed Rice, it's very much sort of a contingency based pick. It's not putting someone onto your team where you're thinking this guy is going to lead my team and it's going to be a consistent and not consistent. And he's going to be in the lineup every week, but it's going to score a ton of points for me. Yeah. I think to answer your question there, you know, it is, and I know it's like the, the thing there, we always say it, it's context, it's individual draft room, but thinking through, cause obviously you'd like to accomplish all those objectives, elite wide receiver, two anchor running backs that are mispriced, the elite tight end, the elite quarterback, get the stacks. Of course we want it all. You know, it, a lot of times I think has to do with the side of the board I'm on. So we picked from the 103. In a lot of rooms, you will get pits now falling back all the way to, you know, pick 70 here. And so sometimes I'm like, this is a really good time to get my pits exposure. And I think you and I even briefly talked about it. Like if, if pits came back, even having two running backs, even having fields, maybe I would be like, ah, can we take back that fields pick and do pits because now he fell and that's a detour. But the more, I think what it comes down to is, do I feel good about some of those selections when I reverse engineer the draft that I'm not going to be fully shut out, that I'm not going to be panicking and reaching just to accomplish a structural goal. You know, with fields I had in my back pocket, like, yes, Mooney could be there for us. Claypool, we don't end up getting those guys. Same thing with when we take Richardson, but I am kind of trying to reverse engineer that. It's why I even like, you have all those chiefs wide receivers there. So if you have a Cincy thing, that gives you an outlet. The Giants now, all those wide receivers are free, not to mention some Rams correlation pieces. So when I'm like willing to really push it and make those extra detours, I just want to make sure that I have a really good plan to make sure I'm not throwing it away, that I am going to be able to recover at wide receiver in a smart way. And for me, I mean, doing that late five wide receiver article was one helpful piece of the puzzle, but already we've had some injuries or we've had some specific, I think, meaningful bits of player news 
that give us a little bit of a stronger sense of what wide receivers are not pure throwaway picks in round 17 and round 18. And one of the things that we've always talked about was zero RB. And one of the things that I do try and mention to people in the 2023 environment is that one of the things that's always worked made zero RB work is you're getting kind of crazy prices on wide receiver in terms of the scoring and in terms of what the structures are in a lot of formats where if you've got to get to the three wide receivers and you've got to fill the flex and you want to balance that receivers are going to be very necessary but also they're not as strong of contingency based plays late in the draft having said that if you do get a situation like a Kadarius Tony injury and you have a situation where a team had specifically taken some guys to build out the receiver core and you have a Patrick Mahomes situation where almost anybody playing probably will be elevated. And we talk a lot about how the injuries to the wide receivers don't free up other receivers to score in quite the same way, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen or it's completely irrelevant or that the news we get is irrelevant. Once we start to get stronger plays at receiver in 17 and 18, then I think we can make some more of those detours. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to load up so heavily on these almost pure running back and wide receiver teams through eight and nine rounds pre-camp is that I felt like once we started to get quality news, it would free us up to do more of these other types of builds later. And then you can kind of rebalance your structures and rebalance your exposures at good prices. And where when you're using those in 17 and 18 round picks, you're doing so because it's a good selection as opposed to, well, maybe this lottery ticket will pay off. So I, I really like what you're saying there especially as we move into this environment of training camp and, and all the fun things that come with it. Yeah. And I do think that those kind of builds, it is very a fun way to play the rushing quarterback specifically where you're playing them from more of a skinny perspective, as far as not kind of onslaughting or overstacking them and then getting access to other game stacks without as attractive of quarterback. So it's like, you know, we have cup and Tutu Atwell, you're not ever that excited about Matthew Stafford there. So we're going to play the rushing angle and hope that that game pops off and really concentrates around those guys. So just the idea of sneaking in other game stacks in smart ways in the same way you would in DFS, right? Like if you pay 9K for Cooper Cup on DFS, like you probably are going to have to go down, find a mobile quarterback there, hope he rushes a lot, and then Cooper Cup consolidates that production there. So I like kind of that element for a team build that is a little more unique for me in that I just reflexively find myself stacking like, okay, I'm going to take Mooney here. I'm going to take Claypool here. I'll make sure I get those stacks. But I do think uh, it's nice to think about the alternative ways those picks can still win without that specific, you know, overstacking element. And yeah, I mean, I, I love to play it that way. Once you get kind of off of the normal plan to have that secondary creative plan that has so many different ways it can work it's probably going to be a little bit unusual you don't want to make plays ever for uniqueness for uniqueness sake but if that is a kind of secondary element that brings with what you kind of want to do anyway what is the strongest tactical decision anyway i like that the round 16 pick pete is there a different direction now that we you know have time and you can look at it and have hindsight is is there a direction we should have gone there that would be significantly better I think if if I would I think I would have ended up myself on a nine wide receiver build and then basically said okay let's you know do Claypool let's um, grab Justin Ross and do Ross with Rice without the quarterback or do you know basically add in uh, another wide receiver there because we had like three or four uh, or the downs the downs pick as well so maybe getting swapping 
Gesicki for Downs or Claypool would have been, I think, what I would have reflexively done. Um, just because, you know, a lot of times we draft James Cook and we're like squinting, okay, Gesicki, play that New England game through something like that. But I I completely get, you know, where you're coming from of just really liking Gesicki and thinking, hey, he's going to add more points to our roster than those other guys are. Did... Did Chase Brown go in our draft? He was somebody who, if we had wanted to go to six running backs, I thought would have been an interesting pick in round 16. But I also kind of think he didn't go, like you were saying, I was thinking maybe he didn't go at all, which was a little bit odd. Once we had taken Gesicki, then I think we were out of moving to six running backs. So interestingly enough, in round 17 and round 18, he wasn't really in consideration. But falling all the way through there is interesting. Yeah. Um, fun team. I always love Sean getting pushed out, uh, in trying unique builds here. You know, it's, it's still a, a training ground, experimenting, figuring out which tactics work, which ones are dead ends. That is what is so fun about this process. Sean continues to write, uh, with his best ball workshop and about all of his individual player takes had the big article on JSN last week, the big article on Brees Hall this week. We have dropped the link down here to Sean's author page over at Rotoviz. It's in the description as well. Highly recommend getting that Rotoviz sub all kinds of good stuff to chew on and apply in your drafts anything else going on uh in your neck of the woods sean that you want to uh promote here well i had, had mentioned last night that eric hove who is a ship chaser and and someone who listens to a bunch of the road of his radio pods has his first article out on the site he's somebody who had kind of one little contest i ran to to draft one of the 350 FFPC teams with me last year. And then we've been in constant communication with that. Absolutely love him for a debut piece. What he wrote up there on FFPC Superflex drafts and tactics was absolutely fantastic. I do want to mention, I'm not sure if I mentioned it on this show, but Bjorn Yang Barnett has had a great piece mm-hmm. on stacking and uses our advanced rate explorer, which is like a five tools in one kind of deal, the stack explorer element of that. Looking at late stacks, looking at back stacks, how that element works and Maybe I like it because it kind of dovetails with how I like to play, but I think that's a a very useful piece for anybody who is kind of working through their late round tactics. You know, that's a must read there. Have a Javante Williams piece that came out this morning. So uh, Pete, I've been pretty fired up that some of the guys I'm heavy on seem like they're getting good news. So we want to lean into that enthusiasm. If it's a small window, we can be happy during that small window. If it goes for the season, then that's great there. I want to mention everybody too, we're going to have the price jump a little bit probably in the next handful of days. And before that happens, you can always use the coupon code RBRADIO2023 at checkout to get a 10% discount on your one-year subscription. I don't think I've been mentioning on the stream, but definitely listeners should know that. You can get it at a pretty good price using that for the next few days. Yep, definitely get over there. Just don't the, these guys Sean writes about. Just don't double count it. You know, please. You know, please leave a little bit of Brees Hall, a little JSN for me in some of these streams here. You know, uh, because when Sean writes, he, he's very persuasive uh, with wanting to get these guys on our teams. So uh, appreciate this as always. This is the Best Ball Banana Stand. We are here every Wednesday streaming this draft at 11 a.m. and then you can find the audio on the Rotoviz Airwaves. So if you want to check out the audio version, you can go there. If you want to check out the stream. I am streaming basically every day, but definitely Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesdays. I kick off streams at 10 a.m. here. Draft 104 in the books here. Appreciate it as always, you guys hanging out. We will catch you next time on the Best Ball Banana Stand. For Sean Siegel, I'm Peter Overzet.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.